You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. There was this simple man, Peter, chosen by Christ to be a leader among leaders. That position of a leader among leaders in God's church is illustrated in a number of places in Scripture, including Timothy and his role in Ephesus, including Titus on the island of Crete, where he was told to appoint elders, including James, the Lord's brother in Jerusalem, as the lead pastor there when the apostles moved on. From the apostles that were handpicked by God, we have much to learn. From praying and their obedience to God, we see how important it is to believe in the common mission of telling others about Jesus. The apostles had to work together. Maybe you've heard of Judas Iscariot. He was the guy that was paid to betray Jesus. Well, he had been one of the 12 original apostles, and now there was a problem. This called for some leadership. Today, Pastor Tom talks about Peter filling that role. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, Learning from Early Disciples. Please open again to Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles and follow along as I read verses 12 to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong, He burst open in the middle, and all of his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. We mentioned last time that this text gives us a peek into life among believers, the early disciples, in between two great events. 
the ascension of Christ, kind of like one giant mountain peak, this ascension of Christ, and then the descent of the Holy Spirit. Two monumental events, and here you have this rather pedestrian and mundane text stuck kind of between here. And you might be thinking, what can we possibly learn from it? But it really has a lot of practical lessons for us. It's not the uh, apex of the ascension. It's not the flood of the Holy Spirit. But there are practical lessons. I think that we can, we can together focus on this and learn some things from it. It's a simple section, but it has a number of interesting details in it. And it is equally inspired by God. And I pray and hope we'll get something from this for our own application. Last week, if you were here in the message, we began kind of gawking at these disciples, trying to stare at them and view them as a model for us to learn from. We began to see what they were like. They were obedient. They were humble. They were unified. They were a prayerful group of disciples, not even yet the church. The church is not yet born, but they're a group of disciples. And as you look at them, they serve as a good example for all of us. And that's what we're just going to continue doing, just learning practical and vital lessons about how to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ by watching them. Now, last time we saw that they, the first thing we learned about them was back in verses 12 and 13. If you glance back there, we saw that they obeyed the word of Jesus. Jesus said when they were on the mount called Olivet, go back to Jerusalem, wait there. I'm going to clothe you with power from on high. They did not question his wisdom. They did not question his plan. They did not come up with another thing that they thought would be much better to do. They listened exactly to the word of God, and they obeyed exactly what God said to do. The second thing we noticed about them was they were praying together in verse 14. Do you see that? It talked about their continual praying. This was something they were always doing. Christians gather. They ought to find time to pray together, and that's what they were doing. They knew that they needed to be constantly asking God for help. Help for guidance, help for protection, help for power, anything that they were praying about, lifting up their concerns to him, keeping their community focused above on God. Today, thirdly, we come to another thing that we can learn from them, another activity, and that is that they were working together. They're working together. Now, this is the longest section of the text from verse 15 down to 26. So there'll be a number of things that we see them doing here. Focus right now on verse 15. I'll read it again. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together. And Peter said, and we'll kind of stop right there. So there they are. And they're having what we might call a very down-to-earth congregational meeting. You know, they're there together, and they're just having like a business meeting. This is probably still in the upper room that was mentioned, and they're, they're trying to solve a problem that they have. They're meeting together, they're having a meeting of minds, and they want to solve this problem. Jesus is about to launch his church. It's going to be a worldwide mission. Of course, they don't know how long it's going to take and how far it's going to go, but they know it's something major, and they want to be ready for it. But down there on earth, they still had this one dilemma, this problem to solve. They have to replace the 12th apostolic office. That office was abandoned by Judas Iscariot, the traitor, and they knew Jesus needed 12, not 11, but the number, the right number was 12. So now in this environment of obedience and prayerfulness, they set out to do some work together. Their work primarily is about solving a problem, but it is a congregational kind of work. 
You might have wondered how are church decisions supposed to be made. Well, we have a number of descriptions of different scriptures that present good models. This is a pretty good model also. It may seem a little strange to you as we get into the details of it, but I think this is a pretty good model about how to work together and solve problems. I think this passage, just like the previous verses we were looking at, exudes unity. They have unity of mind, unity of purpose, even the unity in the decision-making at the end. And I think it's instructive to note that there are no factions that have developed here. There's no politics being played behind the scenes. There are no hidden agendas from the disciples. They just merely want to do what the Lord Jesus told them to do. Every disciple knows that he or she is connected to every other disciple, or at least we should know that. There they knew it, and they knew that if we follow Christ as our ordained leader, and then who he has ordained also, then we will have unity and we'll arrive at one conclusion. Now, not only is this a picture of unity, but I think it's a fascinating passage. I don't know what you're thinking as we were reading through this, but it has a number of very interesting, maybe even sad facets to it. I think one question people have as they come to this passage is did the disciples make a mistake here? Did they really do the right thing at this point in time? Is this really a model to follow? Some people wonder that. They wonder if the disciples were kind of getting ahead of what the Lord's agenda was here and doing something Jesus did not tell them to do, that they should have waited for the arrival of the Holy Spirit and not use these silly lots that they use. And then they would have found out eventually Christ would choose his 12th apostle, and that apostle would not be Matthias, but would be Paul. I don't think that criticism is fair of the disciples. We're going to study later that Paul was not chosen to be one of the 12 apostles. His apostleship, and he repeats it over and over in his letters, was to the Gentiles. This entire passage here presents this decision by the disciples as a wise decision, as a scriptural decision, and even as a needed decision at this very time. In fact, you keep reading on in Acts, and it never corrects this decision. It never acts as if this decision was wrong. And actually, since Matthias was also empowered to do miracles, even the Holy Spirit will give testimony to this correct decision. So I think we have a positive model here to follow. I think it's much more likely that Jesus taught these early disciples much more than what we have recorded in Scripture. And there was some point where Jesus was teaching them that, yes, Judas has gone astray. Here are the Psalms that spoke of me. Here are the Psalms that spoke of the traitor. And this is what you need to do. I think because they're proving that they are obedient, they're probably just following what Christ had told them to do. Peter brings this out. Notice. Peter here provides very good leadership. Peter, of course, was God's choice to lead the apostles. It was his decision along with the apostles here that this was the right move to make at exactly the right time and that the end of it would be the right decision for the apostles. Please notice how this is described. It says, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. Now, if you read through the book of Acts, you know that Peter is very important for the book of Acts. In fact, the first half of the book of Acts basically follows his life and ministry with some exceptions. And then Paul is very important for the book of Acts. The second half of the book of Acts basically follows him, his life, and his missionary journeys. So we want to focus on Peter here because Luke is purposefully bringing Peter front and center in the narrative about how the church got started and what its leadership was about. 
Now notice it says the brethren there. The brethren, they are still gathered together. It's referring to that faithful 120 brethren. They will form the nucleus of this new church, which, by the way, will grow very fast. It'll turn into a mega church on the first day of its existence. But here's the 120. They're the core group, so to say. They're the nucleus here. This includes the believing women we talked about last time and the incredible contribution that women make uh, to the church. And it says Peter stood up on this day meeting. Literally means, yes, he, they were sitting and he stood up in front of them. The rest were seated and watching and listening. And he did this so he could address all of the people. The imagery that Luke presents here is of Peter leading the entire congregation in a formal manner to make a formal decision. For example, this same Greek term, anistemi, is used of the high priest. You may remember in Jesus' Jewish phase of the trial, he was frustrated with what the witnesses were not able to produce against Jesus. So he stood up and he put Christ under oath. He said, I adjure you by the living God, whether you tell us whether you're the Christ, the son of the living God or not. And of course, Christ said, it is as you speak. But the the rising up, the standing up and taking charge of the meeting is sort of the idea here. It's also used of witnesses in a court of law where they would not be seated in that situation, but they would come and they would stand, and as they would stand, they would give their testimony. That's, for example, in Mark chapter 14, verse 57. So to rise up in this sense means he's providing the service of leadership. And that's what leadership is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a service for the people. He's going to be a spokesperson for the apostles and he's going to provide leadership for them. That is who Peter was supposed to be. Of course, we know and love dear Peter. You've been in church for any period of time. You've heard sermons on Peter before. Peter's one of the most cherished and favorite characters in all of the Bible. I mean, he is a study in contrast, is he not? Bold and confident, doing things other disciples can't, and then just foot in mouth and making a total blunder of things. He is filled with so many flaws, and maybe because he's filled with so many flaws, we like to learn about him because we kind of see ourselves in that and say, yeah, I'm kind of like that. Well, if God can take a Peter and do something with him, maybe he could take me and do something with me, right? If we were to roll it all the way back, which we're not going to, I mean, we'll save some of our material for when Peter crops up later in, in the text as well as we go through Acts. But if we were to roll it all the way back, we would see this fisherman, you know, this bold, strong outgoing fisherman who just gets himself in all kinds of trouble. He really is a study in contrast. This is the man who both walked on water when no other disciple would do it and then sank miserably, right? He is the disciple who confessed Jesus as the son of the living God and then he pulled Jesus aside right after that and rebuked him for going to the cross. I mean, goodness gracious. Peter was one of the twelve. One of the twelve apostles chosen by Christ himself. Peter was hand-selected by Jesus Christ. Think about that. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 15, verse 16. He said, you you did not choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Peter was Christ's choice along with the other, well, ten at this point in time, but really all of them. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, don't turn there, I'll read it for you. It records the moment, at least in the Lucan narrative, where the apostles, the 12 apostles, were hand-selected by Christ. 
The background is he spent the whole night in prayer, and then he came and he had a whole group of followers, disciples. And of that whole large group, he went and actually put his hands on only 12 of them, and they were chosen to be with him. It says there, and when day came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles, special men. It's also clear, despite this misuse of this historical truth by the Roman church, that Peter was chosen by Christ to lead the other apostles. The church was never designed to have a pope, and the only head of the church is not on earth, but where? In heaven, right? There was no papal infallibility. There was no vicar of Christ on earth. There was no infallible pronouncements, ex-cathedra. If you have a Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. But there was this simple man, Peter, chosen by Christ to be a leader among leaders. That position of a leader among leaders in God's church is illustrated in a number of places in Scripture, including Timothy and his role in Ephesus, including Titus on the island of Crete, where he was told to appoint elders, including James, the Lord's brother in Jerusalem, as the lead pastor there when the apostles moved on. There are hints of Peter's apostolic leadership even way back in the gospel accounts. For example, in every list of the apostles that's given in the gospel accounts, Peter's name always comes where? First, right? In Matthew 10 and verse 2, for example, he is even called the first, the first, protos, Peter. Even when Christ's closest disciples, those inner three, Peter, James, and John, it's always Peter's name who comes before James and John, the sons of thunder, thunder, such as at the Mount of Transfiguration. You'll see in the book of Acts, Peter and John, they travel together, and it's always Peter's name before John. And John was a preeminent apostle. He was a very well-known apostle, but Peter's name always was written first. Peter's apostolic leadership is also seen in how he speaks on behalf of all the other apostles. For example, Peter is the one who answered Jesus' question for the other apostles in that crucial passage in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And they gave all the answers for that. And he turned to the twelve and he said, But who do you say I am? And it's Peter who steps forward and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He spoke for the apostles, and the apostles were fine with that. They understood that he was their spokesman. In John chapter 6 and verse 67, there's a tremendous defection of disciples away from Jesus. A great apostasy is turning away from Christ when he was telling them that he's the bread of life and they had to eat him in order to have life. And the disciples said, this is too hard of a saying, and they left him. Again, Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, you don't want to go away also, do you? And who is it who answered for the twelve but Peter? And he answered well, I think, that time. He said, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Great question. If you ever feel like turning away from Christ, remember the words of Peter. There's nowhere else to go, guys. Nowhere else to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5 makes it clear that Jesus came and gave a resurrection appearance to Peter before he even appeared to the 12, to the 11. Well, to the 10, Thomas wasn't there. But he came to Cephas, to Peter first, to reveal himself as risen from the dead. There was a reason for that. And we pick up on more of that reason in John 21, where Jesus 
singled out Peter, pulled him aside and asked him, Simon, do you love me? And he said, of course, you know I do. And then Christ said, feed my sheep or tend my lambs. And he did it three times. He was telling Peter, you are going to shepherd my sheep. And so Jesus appointed Peter the leader. And it's very clear that the other apostles considered him their leader. All of the apostles were leaders, were teachers, were witnesses to the resurrection, were miracle workers, and were men of authority in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts 2.42, it speaks of the entire congregation devoting themselves not to the teaching of Peter alone, but to the teaching of all of the apostles. And Christ promised all the apostles they would reign on the thrones of Israel, judging the twelve tribes. But Peter was still their spokesperson. Peter was still their leader. And they accepted his leadership as the will of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that continue throughout the book of Acts. The arrangement of a leader among leaders is wise. In this case, you can see what it did. As you study and understand what happened in the book of Acts, you can see that the apostolic witness was one. They were unified and they expressed the unity of their witness through their, the voice of their leader, Peter. It allowed them to show that they spoke as a unit. It allowed them to show that they were unified. It allowed them to show that they were speaking with one voice to their people. And what we see here, I think, is kind of an emerging leader. I mean, even though he's, he has those glimpses of leadership in the Gospels, a lot of times it's bad leadership. I mean, he really doesn't know what he's saying half the time. But here you see a maturing Peter. You don't see an infallible Peter by any means. Later, Paul will have to rebuke him for something. But you see this, this growing and maturing Peter. And a Peter who's accountable to the other men. A Peter who's accountable to the apostles. It's not a do-it-yourself Peter. It's a Peter right there among the other leaders, but leading the leaders and leading the congregation. I love this picture of Peter that is emerging. Leading that flock that Christ charged him in John 21, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. I want you to notice this. How did Peter lead? He led everybody by bringing them to the scriptures. Do you see that? He particularly brought them to the prophetic portion of the scriptures. The, the scriptures in the Old Testament that spoke of the time of Christ's first coming. Peter understood that all leaders in church serve under a greater authority. They're not an authority unto themselves. They don't have a right to do things the way they want to do it. What they need to do is bring all of the minds and all of the consciences and all the wills of all the people to Scripture, explain Scripture as it says, and then together and collectively they submit their mind to Scripture. Scripture is infallible. Men or not. Jesus may be in heaven, but Jesus remains the chief shepherd of his flock. He even told Peter, they're my lambs and they're my flock. Jesus is not detached or uninvolved in the church. If all we rely on are the eyes in our head to figure out what is going on, we're not very perceptive at all. Jesus speaks to his own people through Holy Scripture. And I think leaders always lead best in church when they themselves follow Scripture and are determined to follow Scripture and tell everybody else this is what we must do. 
They don't try to take away from Scripture because they think that Scripture is hard. They don't try to add into Scripture because they don't think the Scripture said enough. And they're going to outdo God in the way that obedience should be done. And sometimes what you find in a more liberal kind of a church is you find pastors and preachers pulling away from Scripture and not believing all the Scripture. Peter understood how important Scripture was without adding to it or taking away in order to lead people rightly. Scripture is from God, His words. How many of us try to help others without first following Jesus in our own lives? We should learn from Peter's example of willingly placing ourselves under the authority of Jesus so that He can show us what we're to do. Our selfish ambitions and desires have no place in this role. We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443 443- 200 Hope. Can you imagine having someone you trusted suddenly cashing in because their own desires was what really motivated them? Instead of a common goal, this is where 11 of the 12 apostles found themselves after Judas betrayed Jesus. Pastor Tom talked today about the example of leadership. Peter was chosen for such a role even though we see that he had moments of inadequacy like any one of us. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.